All right, folks, here we go. It's uh, time now for the General Knowledge Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7 for today. And, uh, of course, joined here with uh, my two compatriots, Ethan Nash of TOTT News and Andy Soames. Uh, and Ethan, how are you, brother? How's things going? Yeah, good, mate. Things are going good. Looking forward to another great episode today. Yeah, plenty to talk about for this one, man. We've got um, mm. It's all happened in that last fortnight since we did the last one, hasn't it? Yeah, it just keeps rolling on, rolling on. The news just are relentless with their coverage of whatever keeps popping up. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll get into some of the reasons behind it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Ando, how you going, man? Thanks for coming in for today as well. Very good. Thanks, General. Yeah, loving it. Loving the weather, actually, at the moment. It's been, um, yeah, like a nice cool change has come on. But, you know, it's starting to... Starting to get a bit hot later in the week, I guess. But um, yeah, well, yeah it's all been all, all been good, General. We're going to be uh, experiencing a bit of a hot day on Monday tomorrow, but I think the rest of the week it's supposed to be pretty cool and maybe a bit rainy. So I'll go to try and just bear through one day's worth of hot fucking work, and then uh, I should be right after that. But I mean, I've been flat out myself. Eh? But you're right; weather's been not too bad. Pretty hot and uh, hot and muggy, but everything's grown, so I'm busy. It's good to see. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, considering we had so much dry weather in the last few months and nothing was growing, I was just mowing dust every day, but uh, it's good to get back into it, man. And, uh, like yeah. Ethan said, we've got a whole bunch to talk about on uh, on this episode, haven't we? Fuck, two weeks have gone past, I think, roughly since the last time we recorded, 19th of uh, January, so yeah, about two weeks. Um, and man, we had a uh, good response from the, from the last podcast there, uh, a few good comments, lots of new subscriptions and... Uh, people are responding really well to it. The downloads are going berserk. We're um, we're over twelve thousand downloads for the for the podcast, which is so good to see. Keep uh, keep up uh, the subscriptions and the the shares. Everyone else out there listening, because it really does help. Um, people come on board and send us comments all the time, saying, "Oh, it's certainly good to hear a, a podcast with an Australian perspective and all that sort of stuff." So it's awesome. That's why we do it. There's so much to cover just on our grounds alone, rather than what's happening in the rest of the world. You know, even though we try and touch touch base on what's happening overseas every now and again because well you kind of have to but um this this podcast is really pretty much dedicated to to guess what's going on right here in our own backyard but for this one we'll we'll definitely cover australian news as well but uh i figured we'd probably get straight into um having a chat about of course what is happening in the media cycle right now and the big distraction that it is and uh Fighting through all the fear-mongering and the propaganda is this bloody coronavirus, boys. What do we make? First impressions, I'll throw to you, Andy. First impression for the uh, coronavirus pandemic, as the World Health Organization has declared it. What are your thoughts, man? Um, just, just your yeah, initial, look, initial thoughts. Is, um, the Fed's first words that spring to my mind is clinical trial. All right. Interesting. You know, yeah, they're so and that kind of like like wraps it up in in a couple of words, just about there. But um, yeah, I don't think anything. I don't think that this thing is um, mysteriously appeared or anything like that. I think this is this has been released uh, in just the right place in just the right time. And uh, let's watch it unfold. Actually, and it's funny. It seems to be seems to be. Um, uh, killing or, or, or least seriously injuring people with 
um, very low immune systems. So, um, you know, uh, healthy people seem to be bouncing through this thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it's just. It sounds to me like it's um, like just a like a bad flu. <clears throat> I mean, and flus do kill people, obviously, but it seems that's what it seems like to me. So, but um, but yeah, it it, it feels it smells like a weapon. Um, it uh, certainly certainly has the media engaged, and um, you know, uh, and and the fear is seems to be. Uh, doing its job with the general public out there. Yeah, that's the one thing I've noticed definitely is... Uh, fear, is fear, fear, fear. Yeah, absolutely. More and more people wearing their face masks all around, you know, yep. Jesus. I mean, it just it just makes us look like we're in China, for fuck's sake, you know? Mm. Uh, you know, they're completely sold out of face masks. <laughs> you, can't, you can't buy a face mask at the moment from, no. like, Bunnings or Officeworks or, like, any of the supermarkets or... Anything, anywhere, you cannot. They're completely, completely sold out. So a, people are panicking. You know, they're buying these things, and you know, good, good time to be uh, an importer of face masks, hey Andy? Uh, well, it would be, man. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like I, w- I wish we got the heads up on this thing. Yeah, I was going to say we before. should we should pay a bit more close attention to that sort of shit because then we can jump on the ball and uh, you know be a, yeah, a yeah, distributor yeah. for face masks in the future, and we'll help fund uh, the uh, the podcast. <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what, Lee. It's not this thing isn't part of my reality. Yeah, same. I agree. I don't give a damn. All right, Ethan. I'll throw to you, man. Give us your uh, your first impressions, and then we'll we'll flesh out some some different avenues uh, after this one. What, what do you? What's your take on it, big fella? First impressions, mate. Um, dump, dump, down. You know, <laughs> that scary movie theme. Lots of thunder and lightning, uh, mate. It's all just fear, fear <laughs> smoke, and, smoke and, and propaganda. Yeah, <laughs> um, just pure propaganda, mate. In my estimation, from the start. But you know, I've been sent some very interesting information. You know, just in regards to the Bill Gates connection to it, and some of the things that are happening. And you know, there there could be something there, and I'm sure we'll get to discuss it but just off of my first impressions it seems like it's the same old you know problem reaction solution that we've seen with other so-called pandemics that we're going to kill us all and wipe us out over the last decade so you know who knows where it'll go i'm keeping an eye on it but i'm interested to to hear your thoughts on it fellas expand some more all right well i'll, I'll give you my first impressions of it and i pretty much the last thing that um yeah, I kind of think it's a big nothing burger as well. It's just fear, fear mongering, and uh, propaganda as well. And I don't doubt that this, that you know, coronavirus is a thing. It, uh, you know, it it is. But um, you know, more people are dying from, you know, geez, pick something off off the list. You know what I mean? Like the normal flu still kills more people around the world every year. Um, probably still more people dying of bee stings than this stupid fucking coronavirus yeah but we're not all protecting ourselves against bees chemotherapy yeah there you go like seriously pick anything off the list there's more deaths attributed to other things than this stupid thing so um look as long as you're out there and you're having living a, a relatively healthy life you're eating okay you're getting some sunlight and you know plenty of um fresh fruit and vegetables and vitamin c then you you'll you'll beat coronavirus and any other you know stupid flu-like virus that comes along including the flu i mean you won't you might get the sniffles and you'll get over it i mean don't 
people out there just got to stop fucking listening to to the media because that's that's where the main poison is coming from is uh, is from the mainstream media and all this sort of shit you know and you've got um, I do want to go down some rabbit holes as well and we'll, we'll flesh out a few different avenues into what all this really means and what it's all about but you did mention just before Ethan the whole Bill Gates thing and from uh, what I've seen back in October um, in New York City they ran a uh, like a, a drill, so to speak, um, and the Bill and, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation helped fund this uh, particular drill, which was a coronavirus outbreak in New York City, um, and it ran in October for, I think it was like maybe a fortnight or so. Various different government departments were involved. Um, so first, first of all, um, you know, is that uh, ringing any bells for people right there that um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation three months, four months ago had, uh, you know, had this coronavirus on the horizon? Does that does that ring any bells for you guys? Mm, certainly does, General. Um, I was actually sent this, as I said, first impressions are normally just generally ignore things that the mainstream media produce. It's yep. generally just deception and distractions and i thought that it was just perfect timing giving you know some of the things that are happening with the aftermath of the bushfires at the moment which i'm sure we'll get into later in the episode but yep. i thought it was a, a good distraction at the time but one of the interesting things is i've always kept a close eye on bill gates and his influence in the vaccine industry you know he's one of the largest funders of vaccine programs around the world works with the University of Queensland to help develop vaccines to send over to Africa, you know, these types of things. So he's always been involved in this. Obviously, the, you know, the famous speech talking about, you know, if we work really well with vaccine, yeah, we can lower that by, you know, all the percentages and whatnot. Mm. And I was sent this and it was called Event 201 and it was called A Global Pandemic Exercise. And it was the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And as you said, it was in New York City General. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when you're on the website, it actually says that, quote, experts agree that it is only a matter of time before one of these epidemics becomes global, a pandemic with potentially catastrophic consequences, a severe pandemic which becomes Event 201, which would require reliable cooperation among several industries, national governments, and key institutional institutions. So, yeah, that's what it says on the website there. So, there seems like they're preparing for something pretty big. Now, is this in relation to it? It could very well be. You know, there's been a lot of media hype over this virus. We've got to realise that you know, globalism and there's more interconnecting flights and multiculturalism is increasing every year and all of these elements. So, you know, even though it is distraction, it is still, you know, it's still important to keep an eye on things like this. And it'd be interesting to see where it goes. So I'll throw back to you just to get your thoughts on, yeah. on this and, and what, what you think that this could potentially mean that they're preparing for this in October of last year you know, talking about how we need reliable cooperation together. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is this is big caliber stuff when you've got 
the names that you mentioned before, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, everyone knows about Johns Hopkins over there, the World Economic Forum for crying out loud, and of course, like you mentioned, we mentioned as well, is the uh, Belinda, Bill, Belinda, always do that, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> everyone I do that name. too. Yeah, it's too hard. Yeah, um, yeah so in Event 201, it seems very strange, you know, um, it's it's a big caliber thing, and they've they've run a uh, this this drill, this security drill for uh, for a, a global pandemic. And lo and behold, four months later, that's what we see. Is um, well, is it actually a pandemic? I don't know. I mean, sure, cases are popping up all over the place, but um, I think it's I still think it's a big nothing burger. But for them to have run an exercise with something of like I said, this this kind of caliber does does you know it kind of means that there's i think there's something else waiting in the wings you know what i mean like uh this was probably just like a little test case and they used the coronavirus as a because it was it's very similar to to flu-like symptoms and so forth so it's it can spread through you know airborne droplets and all that sort of stuff just like coughs and colds can um so they had to pick something like that but uh you know i mean We've had, what, SARS, Ebola, you know, Mad Care. We've had all those other stupid things in the past that have... Um, what are some of the other ones we've had? Can you think of off the top of your head, boys? Um, that they've um, had in the past. Yeah. I'm trying to think uh, of The list never ends. Yeah, there's always... There's uh, plenty more of them. Uh, yeah, swine flu. Um, swine flu, yeah. Um, that was a big one, you know. But... It, they always seem to try and they, they rush through a, a vaccine for these things and it, it always makes someone some money, you know what I mean? So uh, it's just really it's really hard to try and piece it together just now. To me, it, it, it just reeks that they're, they're planning something further down the track and that this was uh, a little bit of a test scenario so they could see how things would run and how things would work and they're monitoring it very closely to see the roll-on effects and the domino effects it has throughout the world, especially with regards to... Well, hence the World Economic Forum being part of it. So they're obviously monitoring the the economic effects of this sort of um, of a pandemic, you know, and what, and what happens as a roll-on effect of these things. Um, I don't know, Andy. What do you? Th- what's your thoughts on um, this event two hundred and one being hosted? Yeah, I being saw. Run by these I things? saw that video. It was very interesting. Hey, mm. actually, uh, one thing that you haven't touched on was the. Um, comments in the forum in regards to getting control of uh, information like you know they were talking a lot about like the so-called disinformation when it came to you know like vaccines and, and things like that so that sort of pricked my ears up about like what that woman was saying in regards to you know censoring uh, getting uh, their social media partners uh, in line with the way that they think in in uh, censoring information um, this pharmaceutical type information and getting better control of that sort of thing there. So yeah, good point. That really lift, you know, lifted my eyebrows, and I was thinking, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're sort of, they're really, they're really going to come after people who have a different opinion in regards to public health, different from their own. Um, you know, so yeah, so this could be part of the weapons too, like in regards to this whole thing that's going on. Um, you know, it's piece by piece, isn't it? Bit by bit, uh, that they, you know, that they get a, a stranglehold of, of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we see it, we see it so much with YouTube and Facebook now. The 
the amount of censoring that's going on. So it's only going to get steadily, steadily more invasive and you know more prevalent with uh, what we're trying to do. But um, but yeah, look. Other than that, it's like just yeah, same old, same old. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Andy, um, and it's playing on to a point that you also mentioned before, General, that, that there's always someone that benefits from these types of things. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with there's the, the, the general one that everyone's talking about, how a vaccine is always developed that has a mock virus inside of it, and everyone has to go get their virus to protect themselves from it. You know, and then it just disappears into the wind like Ebola and swine flu and all of this nonsense. But everyone's gone and get got the vaccines with the mock version in it. So that's the obvious one there. But the second one is the, uh, what would you call it, the societal effects that these types of things can have. Again, Andy, you were talking about censorship. One of the things, because this is the same old scenario every single time, one of the things we were talking about in 2014 on the Australian Roundtable podcast when Ebola came out was that laws were being passed around the world to, and they were also passed in Australia as well, that in the event of a pandemic breaking out, they can actually forcibly detain people with suspected symptoms and give them forced vaccinations against their will as a measure of protecting the public. And so when you think about it, guys, think of the effect that this type of thing has. So the fear and the propaganda is in the the minds of the masses. They're scared of this type of thing. Now, what, what would happen if someone just rocked up at your house and just started taking you away saying, oh, he's got coronavirus? Would anyone actually stop you? You know, like, would anyone actually say anything or would they just believe that pretext based on the fear? You know, even if these people couldn't prove that you had coronavirus, they just come to your house and take you away. Could your neighbours or anything stop you? Would they stop you? You know, they might think it's for the vest. You know, we asked a lot of people, (laughs) we went on the street and asked a lot of people back then, hey, if someone, let's say, detective showed up at your neighbor's house and were dragging him away and you asked what was going on and they said oh he had ebola would you say anything about that and most people said no we that's fine i don't want ebola they can take him away Mm. so what does that mean for people that don't even have ebola they might be people that are questioning these things that are taking away with suspected diseases you know it all plays into this notion of you know getting the population more sick in preparation for something that's coming and when it does all of these laws continue to be passed that could also affect the questioners of this information what do you reckon about that general well that's um that's that biosecurity bill from uh, 2014 you referred to isn't it that's um yeah yeah so you put up a piece on the may 14th 2015 on tottnews.com so people can go and search for that one it says new law allows forced vaccines or jail to prevent suspected disease. So uh, we sort of, the whole emphasis, I guess, behind this article was that they've put this up in preparation. Uh, So the framework is in place so that if something does come up and come out, you don't have a say. Your rights have been removed to to receive, you know, you, you can't say no 
to having a jab or to being taken away because of a suspected case of whatever it is they're saying you might have um, because mm-hmm. the, the framework there is there to protect uh, well the governments that you know they have got a law, laws and things in place to allow them to do this so um, yeah uh, I think that's yeah bringing that up is probably a good thing because it shows that it, that's been put in place and I haven't seen anything else come up recently to say that there's anything else or any amendments to this or any uh, extensions with regards adding any more powers uh, to the government with regards to that particular bill so maybe they've all got it sewn up the way they like it and it's all in place but I guess they're kind of just waiting for yeah if they declare uh, an epidemic or pandemic here in Australia then they've got that up their sleeve ready to go so um, I do still. I'm still leaning towards that. This coronavirus outbreak thing is still a test case. It's just been, uh, you know, everything. They're all watching and waiting to see what happens and see how it plays out, so they can tweak what they need to do for anything uh, in the future. That's that's where yep. I'm still leaning towards all this. Um, Absolutely, yeah. and it, as we've said, it's it's all in place for when the real one eventually comes along you know and they've predicted it will eventually come along and it's interesting because it all just plays in it it serves all of the the best pieces just putting these fake pandemics just constantly what we've had two or three or four in the last decade or so all of these nonsense supposed pandemics by putting this into the mind of the public not only are they getting the sheep to go get more vaccines make them more sicker make them more reliant on the system eventually but they're also using this to continue to generate public debate to be able to monitor and and observe who are the people and the groups that are actually questioning this information and each time they use it as a pretext to continue to pass the structure of what it will be when a real one comes along so it's interesting to to put that all in perspective when you see they're just doing this as a test case. You know, they're just doing this as just a fake hoax to see how the public react, not just the, the public that are afraid of it, but the public that question it as well. So mm. I think that it generally, you know, that really plays to your point there, General, because it, it all comes down to that at the end of the day. Yeah. It's all a test. Yeah, that's where I, that's where I still keep leaning towards. Um, yeah. Now, there was something else that came up too, and we'll get to Andy's just messaging us in the background here, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that in a second. Um, but this other thing came up too, and I wanted to just bring this up with you guys as well. Uh, well, first of all, have you heard that... That... Um, that was it the bio lab, whatever it is in Wuhan there in China, is... George Soros funded. Have you heard that? Have you seen that one? People have been putting up information showing that he's got money ties to that one as well. Okay, no, no I haven't I, seen that. You haven't seen that one? Okay, well, you can look up that one too. So, um, I think it was on George Soros' website, but he's funding, yeah, one of those bio labs in Wuhan um, as well. He's helped set it up. Um, Wouldn't surprise me. The yeah, it's just medical, funny. Yeah, that's yeah, that he's the whole medical industry. It's just a big scam. It's just a big scam, the whole medical industry, all funded by these people, all created for this purpose, to make us sick, to make us consumers, not to help us, you know. It's all a mask. So it wouldn't surprise me at all, mate. 
Well, there's this one now too. So this is another tangent as well, right? So uh, I'll just read this here. In case you missed it, today federal agents arrested Dr. Charles Lieber, chair of Harvard University's Department of Chemi Chemistry and Chemical Biology, with lying to the Department of Defense about secret monthly payments of $50,000 paid by China and receipt of millions more to set up a chemical biological research laboratory in China. Also arrested were two Chinese students working as research assistants, one of whom was actually a lieutenant in the Chinese army. The other captured at Logan Airport as he tried to catch a flight to China, smuggling 21 vials of sensitive biological samples, according to the FBI. Uh, oh, almost forgot. The research lab the good professor had helped set up is it's located at the Wuhan University of Technology. Wuhan, China is ground zero for the potentially global pandemic known as the coronavirus, which is both spreading rapidly and killing people, blah, blah, blah. So there you go. So this, and this was barely, this has barely made the news, but I have found some links to say it as well too. So out of CBS in Boston, there's a link I've put up as well where uh, they actually do mention how the FBI have, have arrested this um, Harvard professor with... Um, with what I just talked about before. So he's taken money from the Chinese government over the last few months. He's helping to set up this lab over there in Wuhan as well. Um, and he's got his fingers in the pies of, you know, biotechnology, pardon me. Um, you know, so I mean, <laughs> it, this is another tangent where we can go down as well. So this is all on board. This is actually not like fake news or anything. This is legitimate. You can actually go through and, and look at what the FBI have have done there but I'm um, not, not sure if you guys have heard about that one have you if is this one popped up on your radar at all no. guys no no not mine what about you Ethan have you seen this one no I haven't seen that general but it's it's very interesting when you consider all of these things you know I've 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 you know pandemics and all of this type of stuff have always been in this culture you know the truth a conspiracy sort of culture for years but it's interesting when you think about them you know because i think people just forget how recent things like this in our history have been you know and i start to question some of the pandemics that you know happened in the past that they might have been engineered as well so it's it's interesting just to think that you know it is a it's it wasn't too long ago in our in our history that something like this happened and all the things are in place for these types of things to happen. But again, this is where we need to sort of separate from the fear-based aspect of it and realize, as you said at the start of the episode, General, is that looking after yourself, eating well, getting some sun, getting off the computer, getting off screens, getting out in the world, these types of things are going to help protect you against any virus that's going to come along not getting vaccines and, and not believing that these things are going to affect you because that's what they want. So it's like, yes, a flu will come, but people, that's just what naturally happens through history. And whether it's engineered or not, it may come eventually. But, you know, we only perceive flus as a bad thing because we've been trained that they're this evil, bad thing that we need to protect ourselves against from when really they're just a natural part of our general cycle. Yeah, really. Yeah, we've we've so. lived with that sort of stuff for a long time, and um, you, you can even go down the, the Jim West Avenue of things, where uh, which is a guest that Adam has on these podcasts on the Crazy Files podcast, and, and yep. Jim talks about how a lot of these things where we pop up and see a disease that has 
they always say flu-like symptoms, right? Because it's a very broad thing. And what people don't realize is that people don't seem to get screened toxicologically for for things when they're sick with these flu-like symptoms. And a lot of it has actually has to do with environmental toxins, poisons and, and stuff in the air and, you know, poor uh, poor ventilation, you know, these or, or in these, a lot of these areas in China and so forth where these diseases are, you know, all around them, they've got things like factories and uh, power plants and all this sort of stuff that's, and depending on when, when and where the wind blows, these things can start making people really, really sick. Um, and they just come mm. down with things like flu-like symptoms. But you know, they all they may already have on their in their bodies a particular. They may have already been carrying the coronavirus, um, which was doing nothing to them and just sitting, I guess, dormant in a sense, or their body was fighting it off. I mean, all of us have things that we don't even realize we've got because our body is constantly fighting off infections twenty-four-seven. But we don't know that it is because it's not affecting us because our body's natural immune systems are working. But when you've got environmental toxins and things bringing down your immune system these things do do tend to take hold in your body so then when they do a blood test they only test for things like these viruses and stuff and lo and behold they find them but they're not really realizing they're making the connection between the the cause the causation which is usually like i said before and i think jim west actually nails it on the head which is things like environmental tox, uh, toxins and pollutions that can actually cause these things to begin with mm. um so I'm not, not sure if you guys would agree to that, but that's that's one thing I tend to lean to whenever I... I mean, he, he pointed out when there was that measles outbreak over there in um, Brooklyn or whatever it was, in, the, in Queens or something, uh, late last year perhaps, and he showed on a map of the area of the epicenter of the outbreak and all around it is like factories and power plants and things in surrounding this entire little area. And you know, he says, you know, depending on when the wind blows or wind changes, people fall ill to certain things and... Lo and behold, uh, you know, a disease is able to take hold of people uh, because all their immune systems are so run down. Um, so that again yeah. is very key: is to keeping yourself healthy and you know um, reducing these this this overload of toxins in your body and so forth. So, uh, Andy, what do you reckon of that? Do you do you tend to lean towards that sort of uh, hypothesis as well that it could actually be environmental toxic toxic substances that are causing these things <laughs> and they take hold? Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's uh yeah, it does seem to be. I and mean, if you can believe the information coming um, our way about the amount of deaths in that in that um, province in China, it does seem to be a lot of people that are supposedly like passed away, like due to like a flu-like thing. So so definitely, I think the people in that province and that community there would probably be very immune compromised people anyway and uh yeah something like this would probably tip them over the edge especially some of the older people but yeah the key to life is a strong immune system lee like we've discussed on this show many many times i mean you gotta um, also take into consideration you know over there in that hubei province or wuhan city or wherever it is yeah, the the current it's four p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, so they're, they're around the same time as we are. It's twelve degrees over there at the moment, so it's really cold. And obviously, they've got um, you know low light, that sort of seasonal uh, yeah. What is it? I don't know if it's winter. It's or, winter time. It is kind of winter. Well, it yeah, winter. so it's that. Yeah, it's very cold over there. Yeah, so um, it looks like it. The little slum looks like what they describe nineteenth century. Europe like when yeah, exactly. plagues 
come out. It yeah, when, like when Spanish flu and, and the Black Plague took yeah. hold, but it wasn't. It was pollution that, that is what wiped out all those people, yeah. Exactly. It looks exactly like that, you know, water everywhere, run-down buildings, people that are sick and poor, malnutrition. Yeah. Poor sanitation. You know, because in... Look in look in China. They have to get baby formula back over there from our supermarkets. They've got no nutritional things over there. They're just in you know almost slum conditions, like of old school London, where it was just rats and water and infections. And if you grazed yourself, you know, it was it was all over. It's the same in China. No, no, and- no, Ethan. No, it's the year of the rat now in the Chinese New Year. Didn't you know that? So the rats mean it's wealth. It's wealth. If you've got rats around, you're wealthy. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> That's what they believe. They yeah, believe yeah. if you've got rats around, it means you've got um, you know a plethora of food and everything available so the rats come because you've got excess so it means you're wealthy you know that's 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 the thinking of them over there it's just stupid (laughs) that's their first mistake right there mate (laughs) (laughs) problem solved right there coronavirus just absolutely yeah so you can see where this is all pointing towards hey like it's um this i think i would chalk up the coronavirus hype is a test scenario and they're playing that by the book. They're, all the agencies and the governments of the world are watching this very closely to see how it pans out. Uh, but the actual cause of these illnesses, like I said, yes, there probably is a coronavirus that is affecting these people, but the only reason these people are falling victim to this particular disease is because, again, poor health, low light, low nutrition, you know, all of the above, toxic air, you know, People underestimate the the value of clean air, clean water, and good food. You know what I mean. So if you don't, if you lose one of those links in that chain, you can fall victim to something. And uh, lo and behold, the poor people over there of, and I do say poor people because you know you've seen uh, the way they live over there. It's not good. And I think um, yeah, they've they've kind of fallen victim to this um, this coronavirus, which. You know, like I said, it's there's more to it than meets the eye, but I think that's that's the uh, the kind of avenue we're going down. But I do find that these other things sort of pop up. Like I don't know if it really means anything with regards to this Harvard professor, you know, being uh, getting in trouble for setting up a, the lab over there, and you know, the lab being very close to where to the market where this supposed coronavirus first popped up its ugly head. It's only like a twenty minute drive or something to to where it is, you know, and. To where the epicenter of the virus is. Um, there's there's a lot of things that are that are in the mix, but I think we have to kind of cancel them out. Um, is what I'm kind of leaning towards, and I don't know if you two agree with that, but um, that's why I think it is. And I, I know Andy mentioned in the chat that we have in the podcast here that there are still flights coming in from China and from these areas where um, where the virus has you know has reared its ugly head. But I don't think um, I don't think it's a, an issue, and I think maybe that's why they drag their feet on cancelling flights and stuff. Because I think they know that this is just a big nothing burger, and that they're just watching this play out to monitor it and see how it goes. So maybe that's why they. I think that's why they drag their feet, Andy. Um, I mean, I, I want to hear your mm-hmm. thoughts on it, though. Do you, what do you reckon? Well, they were they were going to send a flight to Wuhan to pick up um, supposedly Australian. Australians that were living there or got trapped in there to, and then they were going to take them back to Christmas Christmas Island for a two-week 
incubate, like, um, what do they call it? Like, a, you know. Um, quarantine. Yeah. Quarantine, thanks, Lee. Um, yeah, quarantine, two week quarantine period. Like, so, they can, so they're going to do all of that. So it's kind of like a bit contradictory, don't you think? Mm. But anyway, it, a lot of other countries in the world have like banned flights from China. So, um, and I did see something uh, like something from Qantas um, saying something to that effect. So I'm not sure I'm going to have to look into that further. Oh, I, I don't think, think I the official. I was going to say, I reckon that's just part of, you know, they, they just wait until they get told by the higher-ups as to what to do. And when they start saying, yep, cancel flights, and that's just another part of, you know, of the rollout of this of this agenda and the exercise and, and watching it all unfold. Um, that's what I really think this is all comes down to. Um, yeah, we've got... I mean, the, if, the, if the same thing was coming from, say, I don't know, like um, Bangkok, would they, like cancel all of the flights from Thailand? Like, like, would they do that? Or even Hong Kong, but it, because I reckon they would. Because, yeah, or, or yeah, I mean, I mean, it's because, like, China seems to be, like, you know, a protected species at the moment, almost. Mm. That's what it feels like to me. You know, yeah. they, they can almost do anything that they like in this country without any consequence. And you will not ban the flights from there. <clears throat> That's what it feels like for me. Mm. Mm. Ethan, do you do you tend? What are your thoughts, man? Do you are you kind of leaning towards what I'm what I'm saying about um, how a this is still an ongoing uh, like test scenario on a worldwide basis, and that um, this coronavirus, although it is a thing, it's only taking hold in these areas because of uh, all the things I mentioned before with regards to you know the pollution and the living conditions and all, all that sort of stuff. And the people around the world that it's affecting. Have you noticed, too, boys, that the cases that they're detecting around the world are only in the people that have come directly from, and they're usually the Chinese people that have come from the Wuhan province in China, from that city. You know, they're not finding them in cases of people of you know, like you and I, getting coughed on or something. It's not taking hold in those sort of people. It's only from people from that direct area. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree with that general. I think absolutely is a test, you know, and it said, you know, will a uh, will something come along one day that might have effects? I believe it could be a possibility. Again, I think that even in that scenario that the the overall hype of what a pandemic is is completely out of control. It's manufactured fear, but it still will affect a lot of people that have been manufactured to be sick through vaccines and big pharma and whatnot so it has that real effect but for people that you know don't have any you know resistance to that type of thing it won't really affect them you know they don't they're not affected by it so i agree with you in that sense that something might come along but this is all just a load of bs mate you know it's all just just like ebola just like swine flu it's just going to be generated to develop a new vaccine and, and just see how the public's going to react to it. And from from the reaction we've seen so far from the media, it's, it, it seems to be working. And again, in the background, it's distracting from all of the rebuilding efforts and what's happening during the bushfires and, and people's attention has been diverted from that. So it seems like it, it's all just come along at the right time and it seems like all of these events are just manufactured to you know, create a storm. Yeah. 
I agree with that, and we will definitely we'll move on to the the post bushfire stuff very very shortly. I just wanted to elaborate on quickly on, on um, what the the thing you've just mentioned there with regards to how they want to you know the the vaccine industry is going to benefit from this now. So they you know they they're pushing for universities and around the world in Australia to manufacture a vaccine, right? But they want it now. They want it. They want it yesterday. You know what I mean? So it's going to be rushed. It's going to be They've already done one, haven't well, they? The Australian scientist has already created one. They've, well, they've been able to create the virus that's right. in a lab so, or something like that. Which means, yeah, that's that's like two-thirds of the way there. So then the next phase is replication and um, developing the, you know, the See, actual it, it, actual rollout of the of the vaccine for it. But they've taken out a massive a massive chunk of the the process, which is the testing phase. Um, you know what I mean? Like. These all, all the vaccines that are you know they, they are they do get tested not properly but they do get tested they do have to go through trials and so forth even when they do fudge the results of the trials and so forth but they still have to put supposed to put these things through trials do you think that this uh, coronavirus vaccine boys is going to go through a you know a three month or a six month trial before it's rolled out <laughs> I don't <laughs> no they're going to well, it's that. already. As you said, General, that's like two-thirds of the way to a vaccine. It's already been like a week, you know what I mean? This virus started, this virus started, you know, before, like after our last podcast. Yep. And in that time, they're already two-thirds of the way towards a vaccine. <laughs> Surely that hasn't gone through any testing. Mm. <laughs> Not they're at They're already mate. testing. It's a, it's a live human trial. That's, well, this that's what the, it'll be. This yeah, is the but... trial. That's what I'm getting to, Andy. Is that good? And that's exactly what I mean. I'm glad you brought it up. Is that's what it will come down to? Is that they're kind of setting the 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 tone now for anything in the future that they can bypass this because it will be a like you said a live human trial, and they will be able to monitor it and you know do whatever they do in the in the meantime. But that will become the new gold standard. Is well, we don't need to run you know expensive lengthy trials to push these things out. We'll just monitor it as the disease comes out and we'll roll it out then. So I think that's probably going to set that new standard in future. Mm, absolutely. Mm, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's... Should let's you, sorry. Go. No, no, you're right. Go on. I was on. just going to say we'll... I'll just... I'll, yeah. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> no. Please go, Andy. <laughs> well, I, I sent you that link about the um, the... The trials in um, the Brisbane hospital that they were like looking for um, oh, yes. people yep. to like test dummies to actually like be injected with God knows what for trials here in Brisbane. So mm. man, it's I mean it's already happening right in front of your face. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that's how they do it. Um, so you sign so your just... sign your rights away, and they'll pay you some money to be a guinea pig. Yeah, exactly. Can you that's, imagine the contract that you'd have to sign? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and all the trials are is to see, oh, here's what the real effects are on a person. You know, who knows what happens to these people that sign up? <laughs> I don't know who they are. They could all just be, you know, yeah. paralyzed and who knows what happens. Hmm. But for them to see the real effects and then fudge the results to say that it's safe to the public, you know, it's the double whammy with the trials. Well, that's what I mean. They're it's just a, a stepping stone that they can get rid of. If they can get rid of that stepping stone, like I said, the new gold standard will just be a live human trial because it needs. They want it right there and then and now, you know, for whatever disease comes out. So that'll yep. be the new standard. Um, well, let's. Uh, you mentioned it just before, Ethan. So we better um, touch on it because we we needed to. We needed to go back there and have a chat about this because 
uh, it's huge, and we uh, I think we were on the money when we talked about it before, and that is uh, the post bushfire uh, situation happening right here in the country and I shouldn't really even say post bushfire because apparently Canberra is still well and truly on fire as well in the hinterlands areas um, you know but correct me if I'm wrong like wasn't it storming and hailing there like a week ago you know what I mean so all of a sudden now it's on fire again it's just really weird um, very, mm. very strange things happening here in this country but uh, I did spot a few little nuggets of information that came out, and I wanted to bring those up with you fellas because, and, and the listeners out there, because it is like, just like we mentioned. But one thing in particular I wanted to, to touch on fits in perfectly with the whole Clara project. Now, for those who listened to our last episode, episode six, if you haven't, please go back and listen to it because there was some key information that we wanted you to check out. I'm going to bring it up right now so I can have it in front of me here but if you go to i think it's just clara.com.au which is oh, i fucking always forget what the acronym stands for what is it boys <laughs> consolidated um, land and rail australia there it is thank you fucking, yeah. just it just leaves it's my brain good. for some it's reason <laughs> i just can't remember it anyway thanks Ace. thank you mate okay <laughs> all right so if people go on to clara.com.au click on the clara plan on the uh, top headings there um, and just have that handy, right? Because I'm going to refer to that in one second. Now, the ABC, abc.net.au, here in the country, they put out an article not too long ago that said, uh, actually, I'm looking for a date. Here we go, Monday, the 27th of January. So what are we now? So it's just about a week ago. Six days ago. Yeah, okay. So it says, bushfires, rebuilding residents hit with thousands in council fees. Now, this was like a little audio uh, snippet here, and I'll put the link in the show notes for people to, to check out as well. But it basically says, a New South Wales couple who lost everything in a bushfire says they're being charged almost $10,000 in development application fees to rebuild. Some of the state's councils are waiving fees for residents who have lost their homes and want to rebuild, but residents in at least one council area still have to pay, despite millions in Commonwealth grants being handed to local governments for rebuilding costs. Now, I listened to that um, audio interview there as well, guys, so I'll I'll post it in the little discussion here so you can check it out as well for yourselves. It only goes like four minutes, but it's quite good. But they do mention in that interview that the couple that they're referring to is from a little town called Exeter in New South Wales. Now, if you go on to, feel free to do this while I've got you boys, go on to Google Maps, right? And Google Maps. And if you type in Exeter, I'll just bring it up myself so we can, because I'm going to refer back to that Clara link in a second, all right? So I think it's E-X-E-T-E-R. Make sure you type in Exeter, New South Wales, and then just zoom out uh, of the map. So when you've got it on your screen there, folks, drop a... Oh, how do you drop a pin? Anyway, there it is. All right. So if you kind of zoom out from where Exeter is, right, you'll see that it is kind of between Canberra and Sydney. And if you look at the Clara link we just talked about, the Clara plan, step one on their Clara plan is, or phase one, whatever it is, is actually, sorry, it's not phase one. That's one of where the smart cities that they want to build is going to be. That's the first one. 
number one on the link between between Sydney and Canberra. And it is pretty much smack bang where Exeter is. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So yeah. that's why, I can guarantee you now, that's why that particular council is slugging these people for rebuilding a shitload of money because they don't want them to rebuild there because that land is going to be resumed or the government will either take it back up or it'll be bought out by, uh, you know, another the private consortium that is the Clara mob. And, uh, you know, they, they won't have to worry about trying to buy out these people once they've rebuilt their home or whatnot because, you know, they've, as we talked about, part of the plan was to burn it all, laddie, and um, rebuild in the areas that have been burnt out rather than having to clear the land and buy off people and all that sort of stuff because it's a lot easier, like we said. It's a lot cheaper for them to just burn it all and buy it for pennies on the dollar, which they're going to do. So can you see that? Uh, you can see that there, Ethan. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely, General. So how, can... telling, how telling is that, man? Absolutely. A picture paints a thousand words right there, mate. Oh. It's right smack dab in the middle of where the one of their eight smart cities that they want to develop is going to go. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're, they've copped a lot of flack recently because of a lot of exposés into them. And they're saying, oh, well, no, we're not proposing a Brisbane to, you know, Canberra, Brisbane to Melbourne train line via Canberra. You know, we, we're doing it from Sydney to Canberra. We couldn't do the Brisbane route. But they're not, you know, <laughs> their, their partner company is going to be doing the Brisbane route and they're still going to be developing the eight smart cities between Sydney and Melbourne. So they're just sidestepping the questions that are being thrown at them because they're scared that this type of information is starting to come out. You know, we already spoke about previously when these fires happened, they had already purchased land near Shepparton in Victoria, which is another key aspect of where they're going to continue the rail line. They actually said they're going to start developing the lower part of the rail line there in their, the CEO, Matt, you know, he was talking about that in on the mainstream media. So when you just have another piece of evidence like this, General, it just makes it start to seem like, well, this absolutely was the intention. And it'll be interesting as we continue to see the aftermath of these towns being destroyed and what's happening to see some of the other connections between where these towns have been affected and where these technologies will be developed. And this is a, a very key point of that plan, mate, right mm -hmm. here. If you take a look on that um, Google map there, folks, and you, when you type in Exeter, you can see it's very close to the Hume Highway. Um, it's I guess it's at the foothills of some mountains. You know, it's probably a prime location for one of their little smart cities, you know, with a few main roads heading out of it, I guess, linking up to main roads. But, you know, that's, I guess, the um, Hume Highway is probably going to be very closely linked to where the, um, the high-speed rail is going to go along as well. Um, so they need towns along that same link, uh, you know, to take that land off them and start building these little smart cities to push everyone into because they can't rebuild their homes because they're being priced out of the game. Andy, do you see what we're uh, we're talking about there? Have you got that up on your screen? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. I've got the, I've got the maps there. Yes. So, um, what do you what are your thoughts, General, in regards to like how like just assuming that everything that you're saying is, like, correct and that sort of thing, how would you, like, identify that? How would they be doing it? Is it weather modification or is it more, like, 
you know, like geoengineering with, you know, some substances in the air, like aluminum, um, you know, sprays or so you how ref- do they create such, such like bad conditions that sort of like make it so susceptible for fire in a particular area, like is kind of like where I'm going with it. What like, I reckon, what's your thoughts? So, well, I'll, I'll hypothesize here. I'll, I'll theorize for the listeners out there. I love a good theory. Um, I reckon for the last, geez, would have been maybe six months to a year, a lot of these areas have had very little rainfall, okay? Now, people can see it for themselves, and there's even a lot of people who have done a lot of research on this, that a lot of radar stations around Australia can actually move weather systems and can affect weather systems that are possibly developing or and you can actually see the effects of these with with almost beam forming coming from these these radar stations um people have captured still images from the bureau of meteorology showing them on their maps as well um they, if, if there's a weather front rolling in or possible rain could be forming they seem to have they crank up these things they and we just refer to they just zap it they zap the clouds away and boom no no rain falls in these areas they they just become drier and drier and drier and the heat over the summer and the dry months really affects these areas so it it full on takes all the moisture out of these areas and on top of that then we start seeing and there's photo evidence to show all of this happening too is that the, there are weather was spraying happening there's lots of weather modification happening in these areas as well um, a lot of them chalk it up to cloud seeding however um, if you tie in the fact that these radar areas are, are zapping these clouds away and no rain is falling then the cloud seeding isn't there to actually seed clouds it's spraying of a different type and this stuff is falling to the ground and there it's it's being detected on, all around the area, higher levels of aluminium around the area, uh, barium um, as well as one of the other ones as well. But these things tend to dry out the areas even more so, creating a near-perfect storm condition for for basically for a fire to take hold. And obviously they know that fire takes hold in these areas almost, almost every year or every couple of years here in Australia. And this can, you can, that's, non-deniable you can go back and see it through news reports from decades and decades that all these areas catch fire quite a lot um Mm -hmm. so on top of that they know these areas burn they've been preparing these areas to burn and on top of that again there was there were deals done between minority i think it was minority labor governments with the greens and they locked up all of these national parks in these areas as well prevented people from um, control burning from back burning they prevented people from making large fire breaks from around their properties and so forth. So all of these things led to this year's perfect storm of Australia being burnt to a crisp. And it all seems to have led right into their very hands, perfectly led into the hands of the Clara plan, which is to put all of these smart cities and high-speed rail in, get people off their big lands and big properties. And now we're seeing again the roll-on effects of people being priced out of the area. The councils are in certain positions. Like I said in the report, I mentioned that some areas people are, are wa- the councils are waiving these fees to rebuild 
Well, that's probably because they don't need that land. That's not in the, the area of the smart cities or the rail. So, well, might as well just give them the grants and let them rebuild free of charge or whatnot or without the fees. But in the areas where they need this land and they want to build these smart cities, people are being, like I said, being priced out of it. They cannot afford to pay the exorbitant government fees. And one of the ladies who was in this interview, which I hope people will check out on the link at the uh, when they finish listening to the podcast, actually might even just put the audio in uh, so people can listen to it. But, um, you know, they were saying that the, the, the fees that they were, she mentions are just ridiculous. There's like application fees. There was, um, look, I can't even remember what they were, but you'll understand what I mean when you listen to them. They're just ridiculous fees that they have to be put up with. And they mounted to nearly $10,000 worth. And these people have lost everything as it is. And they've got, they can't afford to pay all these fees just to try and rebuild their home. So what are they going to do? Well, the only thing left to walk do is to, is to either walk away or to receive the whatever payout they can get from it and say goodbye and wash their hands of it and start up a life somewhere else. Maybe they'll find land not too far away, but before long, a new smart city will have popped up there perhaps within the next decade and uh, yeah, they'll be encouraged to move in there possibly for fairly cheap you know, to begin with. Who knows? But that's that's the way I've seen it and that's how it all seems to have been laid out and I mean, look, it's just, a, I guess it's a, it's a theory, but Jesus Christ, I mean, look at the look at the information that's that's available. What else are we led to believe? Um, Ethan, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll let you have a crack now, man, but can you see where I, can you, can you see, can people see how I get to that point? Yeah, no doubt, General. I can see exactly where you're coming from with that point, and it's interesting. Some of all of the things that we predicted on the last episode are starting to eventuate in the aftermath you know we were already talking about financial support being you know denied to people they're not able to get on centrelink benefits and get financial assistance we've spoken about insurance companies on the last episode going rogue on people and now we're looking specifically at the land side of things and we're going to be publishing an article on tottnews.com sort of encompassing all of the things that have happened you know, thus far. But it's interesting when you look at it. And I've got an interesting quote here that it actually appeared just a week before that other ABC article that you read out, General. And this was talking about how there are now recommendations to stop people rebuilding in highly dangerous areas. Mm. So, and there's a little quote here from a fire ecologist, Kevin Tolhurst, who says, quote, People shouldn't be surprised that if the house burns down, that they're not going to be allowed to rebuild because that property has perhaps already been identified as one that's in a place too dangerous to live, yep. end quote. I've got that article so, in front of me as well. I was going to mention that, but I'm glad you did. Well, there you go, mate. Yeah, absolutely. It's we've, it's all coming out. You know, It's all coming out now that this this is what's happening. It's... As we said last episode, it's it's either two scenarios. It's people are going to try to stay there and they're going to have to, as you've said, put up with enormous fees. They're going to have to put up with council regulations, especially in little villages like we just discussed before in key locations. They're going to have to put up with no financial assistance, High lack insurance of resources. Premiums. Yep, all of these things. They're going to have to put up with all of that or they're just going to have to pack up ship and come to the new smart city infrastructure that's being developed. And, you know, people think that this is just a future concept. Newcastle is almost done. Darwin is done. Perth is done. These locations are done. 
you know, you don't think that a lot of that Newcastle won't just become an extended version of Sydney eventually. This is the plan. And it's going to force people in. And for the people that want to stay there, they're going to have to go through an uphill battle just to keep the fundamentals like land and property, which we should all have the right to. You know, it's Agenda 2030 in action, General, mm. in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Look, and um, just on the like for the record, I don't have a problem with developing a, a high-speed rail network around the country to, to link up all of our major cities and stuff. But... Um, I do have a problem with them setting up smart cities along the uh, exact same route as the as the high speed rail, <laughs> because we know what that means. We know what that encompasses. Um, yeah, I do think that you know the whole our dying rail infrastructure is um, in, in desperate need of, of an upgrade. Uh, but at what cost? You know what I mean. This seems to be the cost. The cost is you've got to be in a smart city. You know what I mean. So. Um, I'm not willing to pay that cost. I don't know about you guys, but um, I'll, I'll include a link for that article that you just mentioned as well. That was put up on the ABC called Bushfire Experts Say It's Time to Revisit Black Saturday Recommendations and Stop People Rebuilding in a Highly Dangerous Areas. That's what the article's titled. So that was um, put up on the 20th of January as well. So I'll include a link in the show notes for that one to have a read as well. Um, it's a pretty good article, actually, and it, it does go on uh, in there to talk about a few other important uh, things as well and one of them I just wanted to mention now in the section entitled uh, I think it was Living on the Edge I'll just double check um, so it says rather than focusing on assisting people to leave dangerous areas governments across the country have tightened regulations around what dwellings can be built in high fire danger zones on the edge of the bush bushfire building codes were first introduced in the 1990s and have been gradually upgraded they now require people in so-called flame zones to build using non-combustible materials, metal screens and thicker windows. But Kate Cotter, chief executive of the Bushfire Building Council of Australia, said due to low turnover of housing stock in regional areas, most homes will not withstand fires of the future. So we have to give these people, the majority of our communities, more options to keep them safe, protecting their property and their livelihoods. Uh, she estimated more than a million properties around Australia are in flame zone, in a flame zone, rendering a buyback scheme expensive and impractical compared to retrofitting old houses to make them safer. But retrofitting, retrofitting homes is not cheap. So they're kind of just saying there that, look, they can't buy them back. They're not, they're not going to retrofit because they're too expensive. So basically, once they've burnt down or, they, or if they burn down, then, um, you know, I guess they're just going to get bought out. That's what I reckon they're leaning towards there. Um, but anyways, yeah, it yeah. seems that way. Yeah, seems that way, general. I won't go on to read the rest of it. Folks can go out there and um, and have a look themselves. It's um it's quite a good and very telling article. That one, just like Ethan mentioned, that key paragraph before as well. Recommendations is don't live in these areas. And um, so people are like, well, what are we going to do? We love this area. Well, wait a little bit longer, rent somewhere, and we'll build you a nice little smart city for you. <laughs> That's what I reckon they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what's your thoughts on that one, big fella? You reckon, um, yeah. am, I, am I on the money? Am I well, smack bang on there? Yeah, I'm so, the, well, listening to your talk, I was just thinking of the future, you know. Like, it's probably going to be a struggle for, like, this generation to, you know, be completely, you know, complicit with moving out of there. But certainly the children of this generation probably won't be attracted to live there, you know. I think it's just drip, drip, drip. They're slowly moving moving everyone into high-density living and slowly reducing the population too and and uh, have uh, their plans for the land. 
Well, you know, we'll probably just sell it off. And, it's funny you, you should know. say. I'll, I'll just interrupt you just quickly, but in the same article, you know, um, this they even talk about this this chap named Shane Harris. He owned a pub in the area. Um, there was a fire that destroyed their home and stuff. And instead of rebuilding, his his wife and his kids were very very anxious and didn't want to live there again because of the devastation and you know, I guess all the hype around the fire and you know from what they face in, in possibly in the future so they moved to melbourne so there you go you're you're exactly right there from what we're seeing in the media and the hype around the fire and everything else people don't want to live in these areas and and that's exactly they're playing well and truly into the into the hands you know what i mean just like yeah. you said well these people do do plan for the future and um you know when that's sort of drip feeded um you know into people's minds so that it's uh will become a reality within probably within 20 to 25 years that no one will live in the bush like that and it just won't be something that people will even be thinking that they would want to do you know? there won't be any jobs there there'll be no prospects there they'll be too expensive to build councils won't have it zoned insurances won't insure you etc 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 you can see it just rolling out and um yeah these these big agendas these big un agendas with you know, multi multi story living and small space living and stuff just seems to be where it's still heading. But you know, it's so sad. It's just not the Australia that uh, that I know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, with with smart city infrastructure comes things such as national digital identification programs as well, don't they, Ethan? We've got. Um, Quietly happening in the background, uh, they're still trying to roll out and prepare for the rollout of uh, a nationwide digital identification uh, system right here in Australia as well, and that would fit very nicely in regards to a, uh, a smart city infrastructure where everything is interconnected. Um, so let's uh, have a little read through, if you wouldn't mind, mate. Uh, you popped this one up today, just a little while ago, for folks out there. Please jump on to tottnews.com. National Digital ID, Australia's $200 million push. So they're throwing a lot of money at this as well. And I had a read of this before we came to air. And um, in, the, in the in the last par- last section titled, Cause for Concern. Bloody right, there is. <laughs> but I'll let, you, um, I'll let you go through that one for the folks out there now, mate, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, thanks, General. So this is obviously a topic that we've been covering you know over the years as this has continued you know we've we've spoken about pushes for digital ids and licenses in in fragmented states and areas and departments and whatnot how there's just this generalized push to biometrics and everything and what we've spoken about previously is the australian government's push through two key programs to introduce um similar programs to what the australia card was like in the 1980s, the proposed Australia card, only a digital version. And what this means is storing all of your information, all of your bank details, your address, all of these things on a singular card that can be used for a number of government you know, access points. And what this article is, is speaking about is um, they've just announced that another $5 million dollars I believe $5.9 million will be injected into the next year to the Digital Transformation Agency, the DTA, who are responsible for what they say, quote, is making individuals more monitored, observable, and accountable. 
through their identification systems. And this is added on to $200 million, over $200 million over the last five years since this concept had been developed. So this is the next phase of it. They're saying that experts are suggesting that this is ready for streamlining. This is ready to go public. It's all about a PR campaign to get people to willingly accept these things and accept the privacy you know, issues and accept all of these things. This is the, the final step before that. And it goes into a little bit of history, just talking about the MyGov ID and digital IDs that are out there, which I'm sure people are familiar with. Obviously, the MyGov ID, if you want to log into the Australian Taxation Office, if you want to do Centrelink, if you want to do any of these services now, it all streamlines through the MyGov ID uh, page. And also the digital ID is the Australia Post version of you know creating a digital identity for yourself mm. that you can use as a reference so these are two main government programs that have been quietly creeping up over the years and i've been watching my gov especially and in recent weeks they've just been put onto the app store so people can go and download them take a selfie upload their face and begin to do it this way and they're saying that this is the final step before these two programs will be interlocked together. So what they're predicting is we could be on the, the verge of what people have predicted to be a national digital ID platform for all Australians that will eventually become mandatory. Now, before we get into some of the concerns with that, I just want to throw back to you, General. Um, speaking on this push, have you had to come across any of these programs in your life and what do you think about these two platforms through Australia Post and through government services that are essentially forcing people to upload their credentials to this system and some of the other pushes like licenses and whatnot? How do you think that this all fits together and do you think that they're right that this is on the verge of, of a digital ID, mate? Well, first of all, can can it sound can the DTA the Digital Transformation Agency could not that sound any more transhumanistic? You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> the Digital Transformation. I was thinking the same Agency. thing. It just reeks Such of transhumanism. Yeah, it is. It's anyway. That's what first thing I saw when I read that. I was like, man, it just it just yeah, it just plays right into the hands of the transhumans uh, of that transhumanistic sort of movement that we're seeing. But um, I personally haven't. I, well, I I do use that MyGov website. Fuck me, it's a shit website. Any government website is terrible. Oh, <laughs> anyone who uses them knows exactly what I'm talking about. They are terrible. They're so yeah. non-user friendly, and I reckon that's absolutely by design as well. But. Um, I, I think that whole um, using up like using the app and uploading your your face and, and all that sort of stuff and going that way is all at the moment all completely optional and if you want to do it that way you know you can do it that way because under the guise of it's you know easier and you know all that all that sort of that side of it is it's you know it's 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 for us it's easier for a convenient user. convenient there we go it's convenient for the user where of course it's not about that it's we know that's what they sell it to us as we've mentioned that many times before um but for the moment i'm pretty sure that it is uh it's you don't have to do it it's going to be it's sort of optional which to me just means that that's how they test the waters they'll 
trial it in that regard and then once they've ironed out the kinks and they'll push it to if you want this system you need to get on board with your uh, face ID and all that sort of stuff and before you know it you're um, heavily involved in that little system there so um, yeah that's what I reckon of that yeah absolutely general and I agree mate it, it seems like you know obviously they still are voluntary at the moment but it is you know we look what happened with the new south wales digital driver's license they introduced uh, late last year was it they introduced that and you know what was it five hundred thousand people or something signed up in the first day for it yeah, you know what i mean it's crazy man it's crazy it's it's you know the people they want this type of stuff you know what i mean and the voluntary stages are only there for them to test the waters not on who they're going to make it but who doesn't want it you know what i mean we suspected this with the my health record system with the opt-out version how you had to put in all of your details again and some of the suspicious thoughts behind that but it seems like as you said general it's testing the waters because just like the my health record system and other programs they start off as voluntary then they become an opt-out system which you don't know that you're enrolled in and you have to opt out and then after that if you don't reach the opt-out period you're there mandatorily. Well, you know? I think and you missed a step. They, they they do it as an, like you said, it's voluntary. Then they do it as an opt in, so you can opt in if you want to. And then they flip it on their head to, yeah, you have to opt out. And then before you know it, yeah, like you said, then it's that next phase of you're just in it with regards to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, the volunteer is the opt in stage. You know, suppose, you volunteer yeah. to do it. You know, and you you head in, and that's how they just presented as convenience as 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 a way you know if you you can choose to do this and it's like your your iphones and everything it's you know choose to scan your face it's much easier to do this you know give us your data volunteer all of your information over before we flip the script on it and it's it, it seems like this is just another push towards that and when we look at these platforms Obviously, we've had the, the backlash with the national ID card in the 1980s and, and some of people's concerns. But one of the big things that they're talking about with this program is that it is that th they're trying to do a PR campaign to sort of get this through in stealth by not revealing that it is a national ID by just saying that this is just a prerequisite for services. But it really is a push towards a national ID. And what we've seen is that, you know, weak legislative protections and, you know, a lack at attempting to communicate changes to the public yeah. are going to lead to this, as the Australian Strategic Policy Institute have pointed out. They're saying that it needs strict legislation, it needs strict monitoring, but because they're not framing it, as a national ID, it can't go through that testing because they're just saying, oh, no, these are just requisites to get onto the website when you're, you're really handing all of your details over for a national ID, which, you know, doesn't even have to come through this program. They could just take all of your details now, fellas, and then once they've got all of it, once they announce a national ID, they've already got all of your details through these programs. Yeah, so lots it, of deception going on here, mate. I found it interesting that the Australian Strategic Policy Institute actually found concerns with that and said that it wasn't, yeah, there was not enough regulations tied into this thing. You know, I kind of found it interesting that they were actually raising the red flag over this. But also the fact, like you mentioned, how there's very, very, they've spent money to, to avoid 
putting this in the media and, and to keep it out, um, out of the public's eye, you know what I mean? So uh, I also found that quite intriguing uh, as well. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, that was... And it, it, go on. Yeah, no, it is. It is very interesting. And that what people don't realize is this is a way to control, store and manage all of your information. You know, this includes birth certificates, marriage certificates, tax returns, your medical history, you know, biometric behavior information eventually through all of the facial recognition systems that are coming in. This is what the national ID will encompass. I don't know if you remember, General, we spoke about this back in February of last year where we read out uh, from the Australian Post website the developer's actual vision with the digital ID system that they have. And he said that it's not about recreating identity. It's about transforming identity. Mm. Your ID card won't just be something that says, hi, I'm Ethan Nash or hi, I'm General Maddox anymore. It's going to be something that's almost like a digital version of yourself stored somewhere with all of your information just in the clouds. It's going to be much more than just this piece of paper or this piece of plastic that people have but people are just going to see it as general id but mm. there's something more sinister behind it well What's i think it's, well, I, I, it's very interesting how they seem to be bypassing the states you know what i mean like state laws mm. seem to just be in the way so you know we i guess that's a uh one area of protection we kind of have against all of this big push on a, on a federal level is that you know if the states don't want to do it then they don't have to do it i guess that they can opt out of it as a as a state if the state says that they want you know they want to don't want to partake in this particular system but they seem to be finding ways at, at bypassing the states and and state laws so that they can just roll this out on an australia wide level um, you know, we saw they. I think they tried very similar stuff over in the U.S. as well. Um, but you know, over there they've got a lot. You know, there's fifty odd more states and a couple of territories there to deal with as well. So they didn't have much luck with it. Um, you know, they keep keep running up against. But yeah, you know, obviously here there's a, it's, we're a bit smaller country. It's a bit easier to circumvent you know state laws and restrictions with regards to this sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we even talked about previously how you know we still had plastic plastic laminated driver's license up until only a few years ago you know what i mean and whereas the rest of the country were still we're using the credit card style ones you know we were very backwards and i guess in the sense and not as very uh, advanced as the rest of them but there was nothing really wrong with it in a sense you know they still work they serve their purpose but now we're on board with the, the credit card style with the chips and on them and all that sort of stuff so yeah that's that's what i sort of sense there is that they're they're going around the states and that's, there is a reason mm. behind that, you know what I mean? They- well, well, it seems like, mate, that they're going beyond the countries. You know, there was one little quote in there where they said that the government has invested to deliver the system and what they're going to do is ask for private sector involvement to create a, quote, global solution for verification checks when applying for things, you know, such as loans or whatever it may be. So they're talking about a worldwide system potentially that this could be interlocking with where you know it's not just australia that knows who you are you could go anywhere in the world and your digital id will recognize you through these sophisticated biometrics and other information Mm. you know it's it seems like it's going way you know beyond some of our so-called national borders and playing right into the this technocratic 
oligopoly that exists out there that are really unaccounted for and that are driving this type of, of information. Yeah, re- reeks heavily of, uh, of UN involvement, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, from that mm. top-down control grid that they want to put in Absolutely. place from the UN. Yeah. Ethan um, made a, like, a comment just then, a global solution and a, and a, uh, in regards to identification. I mean... I didn't realise there was a. I didn't really. realise there was a global I mean, problem. <laughs> oh, there will be. Well, they'll have. They will. They will create the yeah. fear. They will create the problem, and this will be the solution. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Uh, Spot on. So, so if there's, so if there's a, um, I don't know, like a nuclear accident or a nuclear bomb or some sort of major terrorist event, then, uh, then these, then these, these things will be ready to roll out. So. Or a viral pandemic. So we need, we need fear. We need the fear to add to the rollouts. That's the thing. So you have to think, what is the fear? What's the rollout with the, without a, some fear? So, yeah. Yeah, they, they always need... Yeah, well, you're a spot on, Andy. They always need some sort of catalyst to, to help roll these things out and, and put the solution in place for the problem they've created in the first place. Like I said, you know, Ethan talks about how these are solutions on a global scale but like i said i, I didn't realize there was a problem <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> they, 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 it's a, any problem is 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 their problem because they want that top-down full-on control grid over all of us uh yeah it's it's their yeah. problem not our problem well maybe it is our problem now <laughs> anyway well yeah. all right well i uh I think we can probably wrap it up there. I've got nothing else to put in uh, in for this podcast, fellas. I don't know how about uh, how about you guys? No, not too much, General. Just no. just last words, final thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andy, do you have any final thoughts for this one? We've uh, we mentioned, you know, obviously the coronavirus, you know, nothing burger that it is, and the reasons why, and all that sort of stuff. And then we've talked about mm-hmm. Australia's. Uh, post-fire problems with the Clara project, and then of course now this digital ID stuff. What are your What are your final thoughts on those? Yeah, topics, yeah. Look, my final thoughts are like, please don't, please don't like fall into the the hype trap. Um, it's complete nonsense. Um, look after your own, um, you know, like preserve your own uh, like natural immunity. Don't think that a like an artificial sub- substance is going to do that for you especially an injectable and um you know don't make it part of your reality yeah that's 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 all i've got to say with that all right cool and what about the the fires the post-fire stuff from the rebuilding and the clara project uh would you you concur with the the hypothesis that Uh, that i put forward i it can be the only like possible like direction that that this country is going in and the solutions are have absolutely no idea. Like it's just such a such a technical problem. But um, you know, I, my heart goes out for those people on the land that are trying to battle these things. And the hidden hand is just like at play here. Mm. Um, Actually, I just remember there's one thing we forgot to mention, boys, is the fact that um, the big scam with regards to all of these, um, charities that are withholding funds from, from the oh, victims yeah. of the fires, you know what I mean? The, the, the world has been donating money to all of these charities, you know, things like the big ones like Red Cross who are, you know, withholding something like, like 70 million of the donated money and uh, for, for what they call future events. But 
Um, we all know that's a, a load of shit because they'll, people still donate money for future events as well. They want that money for administration costs and to line their own pockets, I reckon. But they should be... People have donated that money in good faith to help out fellow Australians and uh, they're not fucking getting it. They've, they've doled out very, very little and that's just one of the charities. It just amazed me. Like, how, can, how can any organisation possibly justify an 80 to 90% admin costs it's yeah. just, it's just that's why i don't and i, I encourage everyone to not donate to any of those big name charities and stuff if you want to help someone find someone directly who has been affected by these fires that you know of or if you've yeah. you may have friends of friends who know a person and and help them out transfer some money directly into their bank accounts because they're the ones that need it then then they're not going to see it you know what i mean do your due diligence instead of just we've mentioned this before people just willingly you know, they they punch in some credit card numbers and then they feel you know, they get that 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 wave of um of good feeling over their body that they've done something good when you haven't you haven't done something good you you've actually just lined the pockets of a fucking big corporation who's uh, <laughs> hiding under the guise of charity you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's crazy and then that it, even all that happened just within the last two weeks yeah. you know what i mean like and all of these things you know celeste barber's donations are being tied up in international legal hurdles for months you know because it was through facebook and you know even the money that's going to get so that that's the other side of it is it was all a big sham to begin with because even the donations that are going to get through, the one-third of donations from companies like the Red Cross, it's going to come through and the policies of the New South Wales Fire Brigade Rural Service say that they can only spend donations on things like equipment and fire station upgrades. So they can't even give the money to volunteers or the families that are affected yeah. per their policies. Yeah. So where does it all go? Yeah, exactly. Where it, it was all just a big PR media sham just to get on the hype of what was talked about all over the world. And, you know, it, it paid off. And unfortunately, some some great Australians who thought that they were doing well, unfortunately, have fallen into the old scam of, of charities who, yeah. as we've seen 12 months ago with the drought, you know, $20 million of, of that fund never went to the farmers. So what's going to be different this time around? That's right. It's just uh, terrible to see, mate, you know, and yeah. it's just, uh, it just, it, 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 it almost adds to the morale of the people on the ground who thought that they were going to get this and, and now they're not going to, you know, mm. imagine the effects on them. Yeah, that's the thing to me that hurts the most out of all this, that that really, really hits, yeah, it sickens me that, uh, that that's what's happened, you know what I mean? It, mm. <laughs> it's hard to get your head around, but um, um, yeah. So, uh, Andy, are you, did you have any more uh, input on uh, today's episode, mate? Uh, not really. Actually, while I'm listening to you boys, I'm just if you can get the um, listeners to um, there's this Clara company, like Clara.com.au. They've just created a new video, actually, like a, a yeah, PR I video. I haven't looked like, at it yet. It's, it's a bit sickening, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if people want to um, uh, have a I'll have put a the, look at uh, what I'll the, put the link in the future, future for that that, put, that videos. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes, Andy, so people can check it out. Yeah, go for it. But yeah, mate, now I'm all good. Cool, uh, Ethan. So yeah, so uh, yeah, we just mentioned the fire stuff then. But I mean, what about um, you know? Are you up? To, you're good with uh, the theories and the hypothesis on the 
coronavirus uh, nothing burger as well? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, we've we've done a good job just, you know, explaining our thoughts on this episode. I encourage everyone to, to go out there and, and have a look and research and, you know, just for final thoughts for the episode, you know, I want to thank everyone for the support. You know, I want to thank everyone that continues to tune into the podcast every week or every fortnight when it does come out. And, you know, we appreciate all of the support. You know, check out realnewsaustralia.com, tottnews.com. We're always publishing great content on there. Um, I've got a new article out in New Dawn magazine uh, about the future um, of private vehicle ownership, the end of private vehicle ownership, which ties very well into what we were talking about on this episode today in terms of how everyone's going to be in self-driving autonomous vehicles in the smart cities and they will be connected by the high-speed trains. This is the future. So yep. have a look at that. You know, experts, industry experts say you'll be in the minority by 2050 if you have a private car that you own. That's the way that things are heading. And that's not my words. This is where it's all heading and it all ties in together. So, you know, just as some final thoughts, I just want to encourage people to look at the bigger picture because as we say week and week again it all ties in and it's right before your eyes if you want to go look for it mate yeah i do find that to be one of the one of the trickiest and maybe the hardest thing that they're going to do is to get people uh out of their cars because yeah we we us aussies love having a car we love having our own cars and yeah a lot of families have multiple cars you know what i mean so how, I'm not sure. Maybe they're going to price them out of it and make insurance impossible or whatnot. I'm not sure. Um, to do it simply it's going to be very, Yeah, well, true. It's going to be very difficult to, to do it. Maybe they'll do it gradually, like you said, and keep raising up prices until people it becomes unsustainable and they will opt for the, like you said, the driverless vehicles to take them around the place and so forth. Um, yeah. Yeah, and all of the other, you know. Like, can, yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry, no, sorry. Any, you go, mate. Yeah, no. Just, um, uh, look just how easy they all. changed the actual, uh, uh, you know, like the idea of like even from 20 years ago about Holden and Ford, you know, like Aussies, Aussies loved a Holden or a Ford. Now it's completely turned on its head. Mm. So yep. yeah, it, it, it takes a couple of decades and, and like the attitudes do change. Yeah, and that's why if they're predicting in 30 years from now, you know, you'll be in the minority. A lot's going to change over 30 years, you know, and they're talking about all the new technology that's going to become mandatory in all cars, safe to drive, safety driver assistance, you know, all of these things that are going to come in, black boxes that record your fatigue and everything, full-spectrum surveillance, you know, advertising in your car, they're going to... They're already announcing that they're going to, when autonomous vehicles hit the roads within the next two years, as they predict, that they're going to clear up space like they do for buses on highways and whatnot for them to drive on. So there's going to be less and less lanes for vehicles and, you know, it, you won't even be able to get to work in a fashionable time. So people will just catch the train instead. It's all this big plan that, as you said, General, it's going to incrementally come along. And I think that that was a great point, Andy, you know, it. Even though we think that, you know, there is a great perception of what cars are, we've seen in the past how much that can change over the future. And, and it only takes, you know, 30 years from now, the kids being born today will be grown up, you know mm. what I mean? So it's going to be a whole different world and, and it's going to be interesting to see how much AI has advanced 
between then especially. But, you know, I detail all that in, in this piece in New Dawn magazine and news agents across Australia. So go check it out. But it all interlocks together. It's it's very interesting. So those are my final thoughts, mate. Nice. Well, folks out there, I hope you um, please, again, do subscribe to this podcast. Uh, jump on board over at uh, tottnews.com and sign up as uh, as a member and um, throw Ethan a few bob as well and you can uh, join up to one of his membership levels there and get some good content uh, as well. And um, if you're feeling generous, feel free to to uh, roll up a fiver and throw it up the internet my way if you like. You can donate through uh, just through PayPal and stuff uh, to realnewsaustralia.com as well and that all just goes towards putting putting uh, the podcast up because I've got to pay to have the podcast hosted and pay to have the website hosted and as I whinged about last time I lost all my ad revenue <laughs> anyway so <laughs> hopefully I can get some more back but anyway if you're feeling generous um, I guess you could probably say that we're a good cause to donate to because at least you know where your money's going <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't don't give no me the red cross. Too. Yeah, no, admin, we are the admin. So yeah. <laughs> All right, folks out there. Thanks again for tuning in to uh, the General Knowledge Podcast, Season Two, Episode Seven, and another one under the belt. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for this one. I'll uh, try and get this one up this afternoon as well. Thanks, Andy. Pleasure, General. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, mate. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.